This is the Beyond Belief Sobriety Podcast, where we explore topics of interest to people who are seeking or who have found a secular path to recovery from addictions of all kinds. Well, hello, and thank you for spending your time listening to this podcast. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Arthur Shanker, who is the National Outreach Liaison for Smart Recovery. This is actually the first in a series of episodes that Arthur and I are producing that focus on the people and tools of smart recovery. The episodes are posted in video format every Wednesday on our YouTube channel, with the audio version to be posted at least monthly and available wherever you like to download your podcast. But before we get started, I would like to thank our sponsor, Soberlink. If you're seeking a tangible way to maintain accountability and prove sobriety to loved ones, you have to try Soberlink. If you haven't heard of Soberlink, they have created a remote alcohol monitoring system that revolutionizes the way people document sobriety. The system includes a breathalyzer and uses artificial intelligence to display your test results in a calendar format, helping you analyze your habits and prove to yourself and others that you are, in fact, not drinking. It even has real-time results, facial recognition, and tamper detection, so no one will question the validity of your results. Soberlink and I have created a guide called Five Tools and Strategies for Those on a Secular Path to Recovery that you can find at soberlink.com bds. So if you're ready to take the next step in your recovery journey, mention the Beyond Belief Sobriety Podcast when ordering Soberlink, and you'll receive $50 off their device. And now for episode 249, Smart Talk with Arthur Shanker. Arthur, thank you for being here. It's so good to have you. How are you doing today? Very well. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here with you. Yep. And you are also a Missourian. You're in St. Louis, aren't you? I'm in St. Louis. You're in Kansas City. Kansas City, (laughs) yep. Yep. And I I swear to God, I'm going to drive across the state one of these days and see you guys. Um, Are you doing your meetings in person yet? No, uh, I, I had the option. I had the option of doing them back uh, in person. There are some groups here that are doing them in person, uh, but I get. I tend to get some people from uh, not only throughout the country, but every now and then somebody from uh, England or somebody from Canada, and you can't do that in person. So I decided that instead of using a smaller room that can only hold so many, I can get a lot more on a screen. <laughs> Yep, that's nice. You know, I, I bet your meetings are doing really well since since so much many things have gone online. You know, Smart was already ahead of the curve anyway with a you know a web page that's completely de- devoted to online meetings that they've had for forever, for, for all I know. So you guys have always been doing these online meetings. It wasn't any big deal for you to shift over to that, was it? No, because we have uh, there's two two ways to find uh, meetings. One is called find a meeting, find your local meeting. And that's when you plug in like a zip code and you can go with a 50 mile radius or a hundred mile radius. It'll tell you when those meetings are, whether they're online, on Zoom, whether they're in person, or if it's a hybrid meeting, meeting both. Because <laughs> uh, that some people are doing that. Then there's smart recovery that is online, period. And there's about seven, eight, maybe nine a day. But they are divided up into some of them are for teens, some of them are for family and friends, some of them are tool time, some of them are discussion. 
those meetings can get uh, 75 to 150, sometimes 200 people uh, in them. And that's been there for quite a while. The, the other ones I was talking about have came across or came along more because of uh, the uh, COVID and the pandemic. Yeah, they were meetings that were meeting physically that now had to move online. Yeah, interesting, interesting phenomenon. So this this episode is going to be our first of a series. So we're going to kind of free free flow it for a little bit. But why don't we start, if you don't mind, Arthur, by just kind of introducing people to SMART who might not be familiar with it. Okay. Well, SMART SMART is actually an acronym, and SMART stands for and it's, we, there's two uh, ways of saying it. One of them is self management and recovery training or self-management addiction recovery training. Oh, I never heard that. So uh, Joe Gerstein, who is our founding uh, president, likes to use the addiction in the middle. On the website, it says and. So, but, but you know what? Both are applicable, you know, applicable. So it doesn't really make any difference which way you look at it. And the idea of that is to empower people to make better choices in their lives. And we do that by using different sciences. And the real easy definition of what smart recovery is, is what, what we want to do is we want to help people clarify their thinking so they can make better choices and therefore eliminate certain bad behaviors. And smart recovery has a four point, has, there are four points to smart recovery that we should probably talk about. Okay. The four points of smart recovery is building and maintaining motivation. Second one is coping with urges. Third one is managing your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. And the fourth one is living a balanced life. Now, funny enough, when all this started, there was only two points to the program. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was coping with urges and managing thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. <laughs> so point two and three were the only ones that were there. But they figured out eventually that if you don't have adequate motivation, the motivation is what takes you to want to do something about your life and to change something in your life. And if that motivation isn't there, I don't know any program that really works. If the motivation is there, then there's, then there's a really good, good, good possibility and chance that you are going to find what you're seeking, which is a recovery. And you know, what's kind of unique about SMART, in my opinion, I'm, I'm familiar with the 12-step model, and what's unique about SMART is that you actually have tools that help people recognize that to help people get motivated because you know in a 12-step program it's you got to hit bottom if you haven't hit bottom you're not going to be motivated you know well the question really is what do you consider bottom do you have to do you have to live under you know under a bridge to find that motivation or or can it be that that your bottom just maybe i just had enough i've had enough i want to change something yeah i want to change something in my life it doesn't mean you have to live under a bridge. It doesn't mean you have to be homeless. It doesn't mean you, that you don't have a job. You may have all those things. And yet, what, what drugs or alcohol or gambling or uh, eating disorders or any of the other uh, maladaptive behaviors really interfered with your life and caused problems that would not be there if you could change them. So really, what you know, I, I'd like to know what the definition of bottom is. I know there it's and it, it's different. And what's really bad is if if someone does go out, the the thinking is, oh, they haven't, they weren't ready yet, they haven't hit bottom. But anyway, <laughs> well, some, um, pro, yeah, some programs say you haven't hit enough of a bottom. Uh, yeah, some you know some some programs say if you don't do certain things, you're not at a 
point where you're really, you know, I've heard, I've heard expressions like a dry drunk. Well, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what a dry drunk is. Um, you know, the guy who created rational recovery, uh, which was a precursor of smart is a guy named Jack Trimpey. And Jack was asked, uh, the question is, when do you become a non-alcoholic? And Jack's answer was, when you quit drinking, you are no longer an alcoholic. Thank God. I like that. <laughs> okay. So that's, that's basically where it all started uh, with Jack back in the 1980s. And he was a pretty bright fellow. So, and it grew from there, you know, smart grew from that. And, you know, I like that. I, I like to think about recovery as a process of change and smart recovery. If I understand this right, Arthur is really based on those four principles of smart or aren't they based on that, that psychological model of the process of change? Well, it's, it, it's based on kind of behavioral um, uh, psychology is if you want to put it right where it's at. Uh, Albert Ellis created rational motive behavioral therapy in the 1950s, which we still use some of the tools from that, uh, the ABCs, they call them. And uh, then it went to Aaron Beck in the 1960s with content behavioral therapy. And that is really where it's at. It's, it's, it's changing again, like I said earlier, the mindset and in a way to look at things. It's like the fellow riding, you know, driving down the street, he's late or she's late to get someplace and all the lights start turning red on you. And you can either think that light, it knows me. <laughs> it sees me coming. It knows I'm late. And there it is. It turned red on me again. Well, does the light really know you? Is, that, is it really personal? So it's taking thoughts of that, why is this happening to me, to it's not really happening to me, it's happening to many other people around you at the same time. So is it really personal? And changing that mindset, and that's just one example of, of, of what we want to help people do. Some ways we do that is by using vocabulary exchanges. Like, for instance, if you use going to the cognitive distortions, uh, one of them... Uh, is the should statements like you could, if I should, I should have done this, I should have done that, you know, and, and words like must, ought to's and have to's are similar offenders that if we could change those and, and not look at it that way. Uh, when a person starts saying I need to, it's like you have a, you have an, and since it's like just out after fall, you have a backyard full of leaves. Somebody says, you know, your backyard is full of leaves and you go, well, you know, I need to rake those up. What's that mean? What right. do you think it means? Oh, it just means that you're you're contemplating the idea that there's some sort of change that needs to be made. Right, but you're not ready to do it yet. Because you're saying, I need to do it, which is futuristic. Right, you're thinking about, that. that's what I was thinking about, the stages of change. So that you're, and that's you're, where we go, in, exactly. You're in that contemplative mode that, hmm, those leaves are looking pretty bad, or hmm, I'm getting thrown in jail a lot. <laughs> yeah, or, or I got to yeah, get a couple of DUIs, or, yeah. or, my, or my job's at risk, or, right. you know, or my wife is going to leave me, or mm -hmm. my husband's going to leave me. Mm -hmm. And these things start going through your mind, you know, and you start, and, and you're, but you're not really ready to do anything about it. You're not really ready to take any steps to make any change. But there are ways, you know, to help people get through that. Yeah, there are. And, uh, and, and again, it's, Again, the way we view it, you know, uh, there's, and I, and I have trouble sometimes with the name, a old Greek philosopher, Epictetus, once said, it's not the problems that are a problem, it's the way we view the problems. 
Okay. So it, it all comes down to how you see it and uh, what your perception is of it. If you view a problem, you got this bill in the mail. Oh my God, what do I do now? And you start going, I shouldn't have spent the money. I shouldn't have done that. Well, maybe you could just make a call and just take care of that. Right, right, right. You see what I mean? So it's how you view it and how you react to it uh, is a big thing. So part of that is like what we call unconditional life acceptance. You want to, so you, so we have three acceptances, unconditional self-acceptance, unconditional other acceptance and unconditional life acceptance. That one I just gave an example of is when this falls under the unconditional life acceptance. Unconditional other is somebody says something to you. You have no control over what they say. You have no control over what, what the, what their action is, but we do have control over is how you perceive it and how you react to it. So the locus of control always comes from within. And that's the difference of our program because in other programs, they say that locus of control is not within. It's an outside entity. Right, right. Some external force. And that really does cause a problem for, for some people, which is really what got this podcast going is because there's a large group of people for whom... The 12-step model was the only one, but had a problem with having to rely on a higher power. Particularly, I think that people that are much younger than me had more of an issue with that uh, because the language of needing a higher power and the whole idea of it was just wasn't just wasn't jiving um, with them. uh, That whole idea of being you know being powerless and everything. People need to feel enabled to make changes in their in their lives. I wonder if we could talk about what a meeting is like. What can well, wait, some... before, before, okay. before we go there, I, I want to comment on, on what you just on that what you just were saying because you know it, it's really important. Because bottom line is that no matter how you believe meaning, if you even believe in that external force, okay, let's say you believe in that external force, that that external force has some impact on you. Who still makes the bottom line choice? You do. It's that you, you still make that decision whether I want to drink or not drink whether I want to use drugs, not use drugs, whether I want to eat that, that, that second donut or not eat that second donut, whether I want to play that extra $10 or $20 or $100 and when I gamble. I, you're still the bottom line choice maker, no matter what that external force may be. Now, there are people that uh, don't understand, like I, I, I was in a, uh, doing a group once for an uh, inpatient group, and I had one person when, when – we were asking questions and I was asking certain questions. He says, when I want to use, I don't have a choice. Those are his exact words. When I want to use, I don't have a choice. And my, and my answer was you saying that is a choice hmm. that yeah. he chose not to have that choice. Right. Right. You see, it's still a choice. Right. And you know, something else I should probably mention too is smart doesn't like go out of its way to be secular. It just is because it's based on science and it doesn't mean that a person can't have religious beliefs or incorporate those in their recovery at all. It no, just no, means it doesn't. not at all. And that's what I like about it. See, I was involved for a long time and we can talk about this a little bit later too. And, uh, in, in AA, but in a secular branch of it. So we were going out of our way to be secular because the rest of the AA world was not secular. Smart doesn't have to worry about that. It just is what it is. And again, it's, it's written, you know, there are probably hundreds of books maybe thousands written on cognitive behavioral therapy. Bottom line is it still comes down to that. It's, it's figure out ways to make better choices, figure out ways to look at things in a different light. So they all bottom line basically to that. 
maybe there are different ways to get there, different doctors or psychologists uh, and psychiatrists may have different methods of getting you to that place. But that's basically what it is. It's changing the way you think, reframing the thinking. And, and it's amazing how certain of our tools really take you there. Uh, the motivation, as I said, is very important. You know, we, when we do these groups and we say, uh, what are three things that, that you think would be really good to have in order to get into a good recovery? And the first one is motivation. The second one is motivation. What do you think the third one is? Don't tell me it's motivation. Uh, motivation. <laughs> <laughs> so if you have that motivation, and one of the ways we, te- we look at that motivation is I, is I might ask somebody, if I take you back six months ago or a year ago, and I ask you, what was your motivation to make changes from zero to 10? What would be your answer? And sometimes you hear zero. Sometimes you hear one, two, maybe three. And sometimes if I hear three, I might say, why so high? Because they were probably still doing their maladaptive behavior. And then I say, how about today as we're sitting here? Where's that number today? Now, the average we hear is seven and a half to eight. But sometimes you hear nine, especially people in treatment centers, when you deal with them, it's like definitely like nine, ten, you hear a lot. And then we have a tool. They said, let me see. If I, and, and for those people, by the way, they say seven and a half and eight. And even nine, we have a tool that maybe can raise their motivation even a little bit more. I wonder if people caught when they were listening to you, there's a real big difference in the language. Um, but you, you talked about maladaptive behaviors. That is so different because you see with smart recovery, it doesn't matter if your problem is drugs, alcohol, gambling, sex, shopping, any behavior. Is that right, Martha? Any behavior you want to change, smart will work. And you're welcome. Absolutely. Because we actually find that same underlying condition that's causing that is similar. It's just that your choice of how you act out with it is different. But the bottom line is that, you know, it's funny because when I do meetings, I don't look for the differences in, in people or their, really their behaviors. I look for the similarities and bring it down to, because you might get somebody in a room that's full of people that came in because they had a problem with alcohol. And you might have one person that comes in and says, my problem is totally different. My problem is gambling. And when you take them through these scenarios, they figure out that the risk or the cost of what they're doing are identical. Exactly. And the way out is the same. The, the, the steps that you take, the, 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 the stages that you go through, the tools that you use are all the same. And essentially, that's what you're going to be talking about. And I wonder if this might be a good way to segue into what can a person expect when they go to their first smart recovery meeting? The way the meetings are, are done is the first thing we do, if we have somebody new there, uh, I always ask the question, how'd you find out about us? What brings you here? Now, I like to use a lot of levity in my meetings because I find that if, some, if we can get some laughter going somehow, that relaxes the person and empties the mind so they can take in more information. It's kind of a form of mindfulness. And so, so, so if I ask, I say, one, how'd you find out about us? And then I ask the second question, what brought you here? And somebody says, alcohol. And I'm going to say, wow, you're not going to find any here. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of get them into a different mindset that the alcohol was a problem that they had somewhere else. We're not going to bring it here. You see, we're not gonna, you're not going to find it in here, in this room. Now, something that else is unique, we should probably explain to anyone who's not familiar with SMART. The reason that Arthur is doing this, he is actually the facilitator of the meeting. And that's something that's unique. So when you go to a SMART meeting, there's someone there who's been trained 
and is knowledgeable with the smart recovery tools and knows what to look out for to help people the very best that they can. And that's what you are. You're a smart facilitator. Right. And I'm also uh, just recently been, uh, I've been promoted uh, and they, and they quadrupled my salary. And since I'm a volunteer, the salary is basically the same. It has more zeros, but no digits. I was wondering. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But national outreach liaison, because I do deal with different treatment centers and calling different places around the country to familiarize them. Oh, that's uh, great. Arthur. That's great. So, yeah, it's like I have a full-time job. I don't think I've ever, I, I think I've, I've made a lot of money working a lot less <laughs> in the day. <laughs> but, you know, I'm working a lot more for a lot less today. But, I, yeah, but, but I, when I say a lot less, I'm talking about financial. It, it's not a financial thing. You do this because of a, a desire to want to help others. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sure. And kind of help them along the way. But, you know, the nice thing in smart recovery is one of the things that in, we're based on, there's three basic that I started, I said two of them earlier. There's three basic uh, uh, therapies we use. One is that cognitive behavioral psychology or therapy. Other is rational motor behavioral therapy, different tools from the Ellis. Third one is called motivational enhancement therapy. And the way we do that is by, by ask those who, what, why, where, and how questions, open-ended. You get people to talk about things and they end up seeing what their problem is themselves. That's the whole idea. Again, motivational. You hear that word is in there. That, that you're motivating them to realize what's going on within within them. Instead of you telling them what's wrong, you're letting them figure it out. So a person shows up at a smart recovery meeting. What's the format like? Okay, the format is the first thing we do is we do what they call a check-in. Now, some some facilitators, you're going to find there's differences in different meetings, you know, even though we have basically a, a said way that we, that we were trained to do every facilitator, I think works a little bit differently. Some of them go right exactly by the way it is. Some of us do things a little bit differently. I'm one of those people that does it a little bit differently. My whole meeting is basically a check-in meeting. First thing we do is a check-in. Now with some meetings, they, they say two or three minutes, tell us what's been going on this last week or week and a half. Cause we don't deal and really delve into the past. What we want to do is find out what happened between the last meeting and this meeting and then move forward. Now, uh, and then a topic may appear that's in that meeting. And a lot of facilitators will write down that topic. And when they get through with the check-in, they go back to the topic and start dealing with some of those things that they wrote down. Uh, In my particular meetings, when somebody has an issue, I stop right there and we deal with that issue with that person. So that's why I call my meetings check-in meetings because I could have 18 people in the room. And and when they're checking in, there could be a a group of a certain number of them that may say, man, last week was great. Everything's working well. You move on. Then there might be somebody that said, I really struggled last week. I had this issue. I really thought of drinking or I drank. And let's examine that. So we stop and we examine that. Our meetings are discussion groups. I bring other people into that same discussion. Well, if, if you're used to a 12-step meeting, this is going to be different because you're, you're going to be engaging with the other people in the room. The crosstalk is encouraged. And feedback is important, vital. And, 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 and another thing about it is you'll never hear a facilitator uh, use any stigmatizing language, and there's no judgment. And, the, and we never give advice. We give suggestions. So somebody asked me once, what's the difference between a suggestion and advice? Aren't they the same thing? And my answer was pretty simply, well, no, it's not. I said, I'll tell you who gives advice. Lawyers give advice. <laughs> Doctors give advice. Accountants 
give advice. Okay. Professionals give it. I said, a policeman, when he's reading you the rights, said, I advise you of your rights. <laughs> right. You, you never, have you ever heard a policeman say, I'm going to suggest that these are your rights. <laughs> okay. So a suggestion usually comes from people that aren't professionals and because we're not. You know, even though a good number of facilitators may be some, some therapists, they're not acting in that role in a smart meeting. Acting in that role, and they're a facilitator. Yep. Now, tell me this: Is it important to be a peer? Is it important to actually have actual lived experience with some sort of a problem behavior to be a facilitator? No, because again, you could have a professional that had it would be like the same ish thing. And I don't know if we ever talked about that before, but if you went to a cardiologist and you had a heart condition, and you had to have a surgery, do you ask the doctor, have you ever had, did you ever uh, operate on yourself, and did you have surgery? And he said, no, I've never had a heart condition, i never had surgery. Does that mean he can't work on you? <laughs> so, so the bottom line is, no, you really don't have to be. We find that a lot of people have gone through a recovery, even, even a lot of people that are in the field professionally, you find have gone through a recovery, but there's many that haven't. Right. Right. And it's natural because it kind of becomes a kind of a passion, I guess, uh, for someone like for you and me, for example, you know, both in long-term recovery and still involved, you know, in some way we were talking about that a little bit. I'm going to not say I'm going to stop you again, if you don't mind, because I don't look at, you know, know, I say long-term recovery, but I'm not continuing with long-term recovery. When I introduce, when I introduce myself, I say, I want you to listen very carefully to what I say. And I say, I am in my 30th year of being recovered from an addictive behavior. See, this is important language. And the language of recovery is so different. And I, you know, I've been, I've been having these thoughts go to my, go through my head. First of all, I'm like, I I like that smart doesn't, I don't have to introduce myself as a, as an alcoholic. I haven't drank in 33 years. I like that idea that if I'm not drinking, I'm not practicing that problem behavior. Are there other things in my life that I want to work on and need help with? Sure. You know, and also that recovery process. Do I want to be in recovery for the rest of my life? I don't know. I want, I, I guess I like to grow as a human being, you know, but who doesn't? Okay. So let, let's take the word recovery. Okay. Uh, you have some programs that say you are always in recovery. Once an addict, always an addict. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Okay. We don't look at it that way. Uh, we look at it differently. But, you know, but let's take that one word. If you lost, let's say somebody stole jewelry from you or robbed your house and you go to the police, they're going to do whatever they can to recover your belongings. Right. Once they get them. (laughs) them, But they give them back to you. Right. But they go out to recover them. They do. Okay. If you you didn't make a payment on your car for a couple months, they have a recovery service that goes out and takes your car away. Yep. I used to do that okay. back in the old days. Let, let's say you have an illness, an actual illness. You recover from it. Okay. You know, not, it, you get back it, to it, your health. You get exactly. So, so point is that there's a lot of different ways of using that particular word and depending on the context of it, you know, is it, you know, and I don't, we don't get into the discussion, which leads us into this of whether it's a disease, a disorder or a behavior, because some programs insist on saying it's a disease and, and that's what talks to you and that's what it is. Well, we don't get into that discussion because we say it doesn't matter which one you believe. You still have a choice. That's where that choice still comes in. It doesn't matter which one you believe. 
And I agree with that. Let's talk a little bit about the series that we that we plan on doing and, and your ideas behind it, because this really is your idea. I was telling you that this came along at a really good time in my life. I am I'm really at a point where I'm I'm finding myself kind of growing out of the the 12 step model. And that's not to say that I don't appreciate it or think it's valuable. It helped me a lot for a long time. But for whatever reason, I'm ready to move on and do something else. And I've noticed that there was a certain period of grieving that I went through, to be honest with you, for or mourning of recognizing that I'm no longer the person I used to be. I'm no longer, that's no longer my focus or interest. I have other interests. And I've learned how to shift my thinking now to that I still value this. I can still talk about this. I have a lot of expertise and experience in it. If somebody wants to know how to do 12 steps and looking at it through a secular way, I can help them with that. But just as a human being, I just need, I need to move on and, and do and, and engage my brain a little bit differently than I have all this time. So recently I've just kind of, I've dropped out of all these um, 12 step Facebook groups, these secular Facebook groups, I was sick and tired of all the talk about religion, no religion, AA is good, AA is bad. It was just too much for me. And it was starting to become, it started feeling like a job, to be honest with you. And I was just feeling overwhelmed. So that's where I was at. And you came along with this idea. And I'm familiar with SMART. I went through the training, the facilitator training. Um, I probably need to do it again. And I've only been to a handful of meetings. And I just thought, you know, this is a, this is great timing. This is, this is really kind of what I need right now to explore something other than what I've known all my life and to learn something new. And I think that that not only will it help me, but, but that curiosity will help other people who learn about something like this that they might not have heard of before. You know, one way also uh, for you to actually learn a little bit more about how, you know, what, what's done in a meeting and all that. Uh, how far away are you from Lawrence? Oh, I'm real close to it. It's like 30 minutes away, 40 okay. minutes maybe. Okay. So you're within a 50-mile radius. Okay. And, of course, you have a computer and you're online. Okay. So we have a Dr. Bruce Lease who is the who is in the psychology department at Kansas okay. University. Okay. Huh? Okay. In, in, in Lawrence. He actually um, has gotten the grant to train facilitators. And he does a meeting on Zoom in Lawrence. Now, this is a psychologist. He just got through. Their book just came out, that which would be the last collaboration between an outside person like Dr. Lee, who's extremely bright, and Aaron Beck, who is the creator of cognitive behavioral therapy and, uh, and psychology. And Aaron Beck just died November 1st. Uh, the book was finished just within this last uh, few months, six months. And, and it finally went out on the, you know, to be sold. So, uh, so the, you're talking about a guy that really knows his stuff. And it would be interesting for you to just get on one of his meetings. I would love that. Uh, you know, and then uh, another person would be to get on a meeting with me, get on a meeting yeah. with Joe Gerstein. You know, the nice thing about with some of these Zoom meetings is that you could be anywhere in the country. Yeah, that is nice. Or anywhere in the world yep. and get on. And when we start doing these, these, um, series going forward, we can, we can invite these people to come on with us. And they would be, and I'm, and, uh, and Joe would love to do this. This is exciting. Uh, and Joe, um, you know, to, to remind everybody, Joe 
was a clinical assistant professor of medicine at Harvard. He was also a uh, an MD, a retired MD. Obviously, if you're a professor of medicine, you better be an MD. I guess so. <laughs> um, and very successful. And uh, he's the and he and uh, is the creator of Smart Recovery. Loves to come on programs like this to talk about you know the creation of where we're going. Uh, we do a lot of things now, uh, in working into getting into uh, different uh, institutions, whether they be uh, federal bureau of prisons or whether they be state prisons or county jails or city jails uh, to do our programs there. We have programs that are for people that are incarcerated and coming into a reentry program. How's that coming along? I know that there were a lot of smart meetings in VA centers, but how's it coming along? Are you expanding very well with that? Yeah, we are. And that's part of what I do. Uh, we're now looking uh, uh, to get into sober homes in rural counties, okay, and reentry programs from people coming that are incarcerated. As I said, we have several different, like you have a regular smart handbook, which has all of our tools in it. Then you have a family and friends book, which is our version, a cognitive version of al It's a It's a way of looking at that that is secular and, and, de- and deals with science. Then we have, for the people that are in different uh, jail systems, like for instance, we have something called Inside Out. That would be a, like a 24-week program that has homework for people that are incarcerated, for people that might be in a jail, either waiting for a sentence or a short-term sentence. We have uh, Inside Out Fast, which was created by a fellow that came out of jail, uh, Barry Grant, Dr. Barry Grant, who got a degree in psychology after he served his time and then condensed the Inside Out program to a 12-week program. (laughs) So for people that are in a short term. Then we have two uh, entrepreneurs uh, out of Houston, Texas, that created a book that we now use uh, in those systems of reentry called Successful Life Skills. And that teaches a person how to interview for a job, you know, get a job, keep a job, and shows them easy finance. And also has some of the smart tools in it if they happen to be found that they had some addictive behaviors when they created their crime. Okay, doesn't mean that they doesn't mean their crime was from an addictive behavior. It means they're probably under the influence maybe when they created it. So, so we have a lot of different programs that we're doing now. If you go to some of the other places or different programs, their program is basically the same program whether you're out in wherever you are. But ours actually have differences. Um, I hate to go back to this, but I'm kind of curious. Do you happen to have the title of that book? And can you spell that doctor's name? Is it L-E-E-S-E? Is it Dr. Lease? L-I, uh, Dr. Lease, L-I-E-S-E. L-I-E-S-E. It could be L-E-I-S-E. Right. I, could be, I could have that wrong. But it's Dr. Bruce Lease. Okay. I'm just Googling him. Perfect. Came up. Okay. I got him. I'm going to check it out. I definitely want to go to one of those meetings. I want to read that book, too. So Yeah. It's, it just got. It just was went out on sale. And as I said, it was it's Aaron Beck's last collaboration. I think he was about 100 years old. <laughs> yeah, I think it was like 99 or something. And he, he was the, like the father of cognitive behavioral therapy, which like started like in the fifties, right? Sixties. 1960s. Okay. Yeah. The fifties, the fifties was Albert Ellis with oh, the that's right. rational mode of behavioral therapy. Gotcha. Right. Okay. That's right. Okay. Yeah, and the rational mode of behavioral therapy, it's funny how they're, they're similar, but different. The similarity is in the rational mode of behavioral therapy, it's your rational, your thought process, right? Your, what you think influences the emotive, the way you feel 
which influences your behavior. So they're an influence, each one is an influence. In cognitive behavioral therapy, they're basically saying that your thought process can induce a behavior or a choice to use. So they're very, very similar. And, and it's funny because um, a lot of people that were in treatment and going to a, a group therapy and all that, there's a there's a, a paper that uh, says, how are you feeling today? And it has like about 25 or 30 different faces with different emotions underneath each one. Well, I have a piece of paper that underneath it, it says, what were you thinking to make you feel this way? <laughs> because Because most of everything starts with a thought. And if we can, then that's what we focus on. So the way I look at our meetings, too, to get back to that, is if you are in a group therapy in a treatment center or just in group therapy, let's say an intensive outpatient, et cetera, they have what they call process groups. And what they want to do is process people's feelings, right? So let's say our groups are kind of similar as a process group, except that we want to process the thinking which creates the feelings. (laughs) Interesting. Yep. You know, and that's my, the way I look at it. I don't, I don't want to say that's written anywhere for smart recovery, but that's just the way I, I see it. I see. Okay. So tell me, Arthur, what do you envision? What would you like to see us do going forward on this project? We're going to be doing weekly videos focusing on smart. For example, where, where do we begin? What do you want to talk about next week? Where do you see this going down the road? Uh, what I see is that one, have different guests who have different perspectives because again, it, you know, being based on science, you're going to get people that have a little bit different take and perspectives on things. Uh, it's funny because if you get uh, Joe and I in the same room, Joe Gerstein and I in the same room, we both have the exact same bottom line. Joe may have a more clinical way of expressing it, and I have a more down-to-earth way of expressing it, a little bit different way because I don't have that clinical experience. Okay, My experience is more as practical, and um, his experience is not only practical, but it can be clinical. So where he can really talk about the differences of the different parts of the brain and talk about how the hippocampus and the hypothalamus and the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala kind of are circuited and then and, and talk about the circuits. I can just say, hey, we have the prefrontal cortex. It makes decisions. If we're drinking, that decision-making is right. not there. Right. <laughs> you know, so I, I may say it differently, but it's the same, but we say the same thing. So you might get a different take. Uh, and that's, that's what's nice about being able to explore with different people in the way they, they look at it, in the way they, they their, their experience is taken. You get diff- we have different tools for different things. Like, for instance, and you brought this up a little bit earlier, you know, you say you want to see different ways in the secular way of, of doing things. The tool, a lot of the tools we use, you can use in everyday life. Uh, one of the tools we have is a cost-benefit analysis. And another version of that is called a risk-reward. So let's go over it real quick, if you don't mind. Okay, cost-benefit analysis, first box, top left, is benefits of using. It doesn't matter what you're using, but benefits of using. The second box on the right is is cost of use. Then the bottom left is the uh, benefits of not using, or let me see, the benefits of not using, and then the cost of not using, okay? So, you know, it's done different. Costs are actual costs, what it costs you. Now, if you do a risk-reward, the first box on the top left is the risks of using as opposed to the benefits. And and the risks are not only those things that have happened, but those things that could happen. Just because the guy next to you had a DUI doesn't mean you have had one yet. That doesn't mean you won't get one if you continue on, right? Or if the person that, uh, on the other side of the table had 
uh, a diagnosis of, of cirrhosis of the liver. You may not have gotten there yet, but you're at risk of getting there. So we put down those risks. Like you hit a golf ball over a pond, over a lake. The risk is I don't hit it far enough that's going to go in the water. Or I can have a reward and knock it right on over where I have a better shot to the green. Okay. So we look at those risks, what could happen, what have happened and what could happen. So there's a difference. Now, why am I bringing that up? Because in real life, not that long ago, I remember the secretary of state, the current secretary of state, when they were going through the withdrawal, I don't want to bring in politics, but the withdrawal from Afghanistan. And he's on the air and he goes, what we did was a risk cost, a risk benefit analysis. Wow. We do that in our groups, but you can use our tools in real life for other things. You want to change jobs. You want to change careers. What would be the benefits of doing that? What would be the cost of doing that? What would be the benefits of staying? What would be the cost of staying? So you can actually break that down and use those kind of tools. Sure. Yeah, we, we use them in business uh, I, I, when I got my MBA. Yeah, that's the whole point. And, and yet we use those tools for addictive behaviors. Right. And it works well because, as you say, you, you, there are benefits to using. There's a cost to using. There's a benefit to not using and a reward, I guess, for not using. And there's a cost, I guess, for not using, right? You can balance it all out. Well, it doesn't really balance. It doesn't really balance. That, that's the whole point is if you put down the, the, the cost of using, one, it's usually long-term costs, okay? It can cost you your whole family. It can cost you your job. It can cost, I mean, and that's long-term. The rewards of using, I put, an, I put another word in front now, perceived rewards or perceived benefits. Okay. I added a word to it. Now, the reason I added that word to it is we think of benefits as being that this is going to really benefit me, but one, it's usually a short-term benefit and two may not really reach what you're seeking. Like I had a lady once that said, when she had a relapse, she said, I was looking for that euphoria that I got when I first started years back. I said, did you find that? She said, no. It just took me right down. So, so it's, that's why I say it's a, it could be a perceived reward. The costs are real. The rewards may not be that real. Right. You might think you're going to get something, but you in fact don't. Right. Exactly. So that's why, so that's why I put that word perceived in, in me. Uh, it's, it's a more, it's more realistic way. And those rewards are short term. They're not long term. What happens the next day? You wake up, if it's alcohol, you wake up, you're hungover, you're drunk. Sometimes you black out, you don't remember any. Yeah, it's interesting. And the costs are long-term, but there, any reward you get from it is not right. for sure. It's very short-lived. And, and if you can go from the costs down to the rewards of not, or the, or the benefits of not using, you can almost draw a line and say that those costs can be now become rewards of not using. That You might be able to reverse some of those, if not all of them. Have you given any thought to what we might want to talk about next week? Wherever you want to go, my friend, I think that uh, we can talk about some more in depth about uh, some of these tools. Yeah, that sounds good. That might be a good idea just to kind of start with some of the tools and just kind of go over those. I can send you an email and maybe we can kind of. uh, And I think, and I think what would be, I think what would really be uh, a good idea is I'm going to invite uh, Joe to join us next, next Saturday for this. And the reason I want to invite Vitam is he's the fellow because we've talked about in the last time we did this uh, one of the major tools we use and it builds motivation by the way when somebody has that seven and a half or eight number or even a nine number 
with their motivation today. We like to build on that motivation, and we have a tool that really can build that, and it's called this hierarchy of values. And Joe, Joe uh, thinks he created it. I, I had to inform him about three years ago that Voltaire actually did it about <laughs> 1700 and actually had the name there. But Joe created the way you do it for recovery. Okay. <laughs> so, well, that'd be fun. And also, and so the, you know, know this the system that we're using to record the video, you can also do slideshows on here too. You can load up a slideshow if you wanted to and do that. Screen shares, anything like that. It's pretty handy. Yeah, you know, all you have to do is is, is, is say, I'd like to see a slideshow. And, and, and you lost me. <laughs> yeah. You know what? You're right. Uh, you know, PowerPoints, that's, PowerPoints that's, that's were designed plan. to you put people what? to sleep. I like this impromptu stuff. <laughs> I agree with you. I agree with you totally. Yeah. It, you're, you're absolutely, you're all right about that. Um, yeah. PowerPoints have always put me to sleep and uh, that's just the way it is. <laughs> so, but yeah, just throw it out there. So that sounds good. Uh, I really appreciate you doing this. I'm excited about this. Um, so I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to make a commitment. I'm not going to say I will. I'm just going to, I'm going to do what I, I'm, I'm, I want to make a, I make, make a concerted effort to start attending some smart meetings so I can become more familiar with all of this. I don't want to just be talking about it and not really have the actual practice of really being involved. I've only been to a handful of meetings online and I have enjoyed them. And for me, it's not necessarily because I think I'm going to drink again, but for whatever reason, it's still important for me to stay in contact with a community of people in, in the recovery world and, and who have been recovered and have had this experience. And, and it's something I'm interested in. And I, and I'm just at a point in my life where I need, I need to expand on what I know and learn more and have new experiences. So. Uh, to give you to give you a um, an idea very quickly, yes, I've had people that have come into our meetings. Actually, they brought other people, uh, and they had long term uh, sobriety or recovery in either NA or AA. And they're sponsors, and, and and they are sponsors. And they've come in and they've listened to some of our meetings, and they say, "Wow, never thought of things that way." And they're actually using and they're actually using some of our smart tools now, which it, it, with their sponsees that it makes sense. They never even thought of it in those, in that way. So, you know, I have a young lady that whenever she needs a spiritual answer, she calls her sponsor. When she wants a practical answer, she calls me. You know, it, it, it just depends on, 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 on each individual. And about 30 to 35% of the people that, that come to a smart meeting also do a 12 step. Yeah, that's what I, that's so cool too. And that's so important for people to know. We don't have to be in silos where you only do one thing. The world is, I mean, we, there are so many options available now. Use any option. There are book clubs. There are social media groups. There are meetings of all sorts of for, for people. Like, you know, I've done a podcast with, with people who just represent the restaurant and bar community. You know, people in recovery who work in that field. It's all kinds of different things. So I'm excited about this. That's good. Yeah, and, 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 and we'll bring other people on. And, uh, and my goal is... And, uh, and we got somebody that I'm, that you and I are going to talk to him outside of this. Lou uh, produces for us different videos and different uh, things that we use, like where you might have a profile of somebody that's on our website. And, and I've already talked to him about taking some of excerpts from the shows we're going to do and actually have them on. A small recovery oh, that'd be wonderful. That'd be wonderful. So that's why. So I'm going to introduce you to that guy, and okay, we're cool. going to have a three way talk with him. Okay. Now he's just going to make me get better at what I do too, which is good too. So thank you. For yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. And, and he's he's out in he's out in Santa Monica, California, and um, and 
very big in the smart recovery uh, hierarchy. And uh, as I said, produces a lot of the things. Like if I had a participant that I think would be a great uh, interview, you know, like just like these are three or four minute things. Uh, he would do the, he would do what you're doing right now with that person. And then we actually have it on the website. Cool. I like it. I think I said these would be video only. I think I will do these audio podcasts of these episodes that we're doing as well. I don't see any reason why we can't. It's exciting to see that. And uh, I want to continue doing that. Um, so it reaches people. And I think if there's a way, you know, and I'm wondering if there's a way that every now and then we could do this live. Oh, yes, absolutely. I love doing live stuff. Because because if you have, we have a set time that we can do some of these things live and get people from the outside asking questions absolutely we used to i used to do i i did live streams for oh almost two years with um a co-host angela and it was all based upon secular aa and we would have a group of people that would join these live streams with us and we'd have a live chat also call in call in on our phone number i have a phone number they, they can call in on a phone number they can put type their questions into a live chat we can absolutely do that i love doing that yeah because you know, it, it, we can sit here and, and talk about a lot of things and take up weeks. You know, I, I did a presentation not too long ago and they, they gave me an hour. I could have gone another hour. Yep. <laughs> so we can definitely do live streams. I have people during the whole thing asking questions and that's what keeps it going. It kept it alive. Yep. We can definitely do those live streams and we can get a good mix of people too that come to those. I, I'm sure. Okay. You know, what's the difference between this and this? Why, why, why would I want to do this one as, as opposed to this one? Um, right. When you talked about the, the spirituality or a religious thing, when people, when we do those hierarchy of values, sometimes the value is God. Sometimes the value is spirituality. But they get shocked when they hear that alcohol or drugs came before God or spirituality. So it's like, a, it's like an eye opener. And that's what brings that motivation. When they hear that, it's like a, an epiphany happens. It's like a, a bell goes off in their head. Well, we're coming up on an hour. You've got your meeting to go to uh, that you're going to be doing. What, what time is that that you're doing that? Oh, my meeting is not until uh, my time about 2.30. Okay, And that's another episode of Beyond Belief Sobriety. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you again, Soberlink. If you would like to support the podcast, there are a couple of ways you can do that. Head on over to patreon.com slash beyondbeliefsobriety, and you can become a patron for a small amount of money each month. And with that, you will get a little perk, which we can talk about on the next episode if you would like, or you can just go on over to the site and learn all about it. You can also become a member of our YouTube channel. Just go to uh, YouTube and search for Beyond Belief Sobriety and you can become a member there and also receive that little membership perk. Uh, if you just want to make a regular one-time contribution and don't really want to do the monthly thing, you can just go over to our website, beyondbeliefsobriety.com and click on the donate button or click on the little coffee cup and buy us a cup of coffee. And so thank you again for listening. I really do appreciate it. We'll be back next week with another episode.